0: The reading this morning is taken from Romans chapter 12, reading from verse 9 to verse 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the word of God. Lord, we love your word. We love scripture. We love how you speak to us through it. And so would you come, Lord, now by your Holy Spirit... Thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us. Holy Spirit, come and make your word real to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to listen to what St. Paul has to say on the subject of love. And um, before you kind of get misty-eyed about that word and kind of just begin to see through a pink haze... Just listen to what Bono, lead singer of U2, says about St. Paul in his recent autobiography. I have so much to learn from this ancient writer. How does someone who first shows up as a monumental, pain-in-the-A fundamentalist become someone who can write the greatest ode to love in 2,000 years? That's 1 Corinthians 13. Somewhere on his spiritual path, he discovers that love is bigger than anything in its way. That no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. That's how St. Paul speaks into the heart of Bono on this topic. And our passage is written by Paul about 20 years after his life-changing encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Since then, he's planted a number of churches. He's already written letters to the Thessalonians, the Corinthians, and the Galatians. And so he's not a romantic, um, naive, dewy-eyed youth. He's writing about love from within the trenches. Now, this week, I met a new member uh, of our congregation, uh, and I'm going to call her Paula. And Paula's story is that In her 30s, despite having been a Christian since a child, she walked away from church. And she walked away from church because basically she was burnt out by church and how it had used her. And also she was burnt out by her experience of other Christians. And that's where she remained for a couple of decades. Until last year, she had a major life challenge. And she then experienced what she calls a spiritual reawakening. And she met God in a powerful new way. But the one thing she kept saying to herself was, I'm not going back to church. Never church. And then two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit just said to her, you need to be surrounded by Christians. And so two weeks ago, she came Two St. day it's for the first time ever. She texted her mum from here, said, I'm surrounded by Christians. Her mum couldn't believe it. She said, you hate church. <laughs> and Paula powerfully met God. And my question is: is, what sort of love or not is Paula going to experience in this church? What sort of love or not do you each experience here? Now, for the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has talked about God's love, his agape, self-giving love, demonstrated on the cross, poured out for each one of us, doggedly hunting each one of us down. Paul's been writing of the God who loves each one of us all the way down. But now, at the beginning of this passage, for the first time, he uses this word, agape love, about our love for each other. It's to be the same love, in other words. In 1 Corinthians 13, he said that without love, without this kind of love, we're simply a clanging symbol. In other words, we can make a lot of noise. We might even have impact in the kingdom of God. But there's no grace to us. There's no melody. We don't become part of a larger whole. So what sort of love is Paul speaking of in this passage? Well, it's not about being nice. Paradoxically, he says that this kind of love hates evil. It's a love that can hate. It doesn't inhibit how he writes to the churches he's planted, with whom he can be, as we know, very robust. In 1 Corinthians, he orders certain people to be put out of the church until they repent. It can be tough love if it's for our good, if it's for the good. It's not about feelings. Valentine's Day is coming up on Tuesday. But this agape love, it's not based on the fluctuating emotions of our heart, moment by moment, as in romantic love. It's not a a hallmark card. It's more like marriage vows, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. It's not about appearances. When Paul writes, love must be sincere, in the Greek, literally, it's just sincere love. That's all it says, sincere love. It's like the headline to a list of things which are going to follow, which in fact do follow, these kind of tweets about love that Paul just throws out. Or more literally still, it's really saying sincere love of the self-giving kind. That's what Paul is concerned with here. In other words, he slaps a health warning on his teaching about love right at the start. He says, don't let your love be false. Don't let it be inauthentic. The Greek word sincere, it recalls the classical mask which an actor would use in performance. And as many of you know in my former life I was a theater director and I know how a skilled actor and actress can play an extraordinary love scene together while actually be tearing one another apart off stage. It's not authentic love. It's play acting and they're very skilled at it. Paul says beware of being false. We can be adept in church at feigning love. We can be adept at failing to give someone our heart, perhaps because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We can speak falsely to avoid that. We can voice indignation at injustice, but without our heart really being engaged, being involved. Paul wants us to take our masks off. He wants it to be the real me meeting the real you, and vice versa. The actor's play-acting is his or her job. It's not to become our reality. So what then is this love about if it's not those things? Well, it's a covenant love. It's a love which is about faithfulness. It's a love which reflects God's faithful, dogged love for each one of us. It's constant love, within the church, within the body of Christ. It's what psychologists call unconditional positive regard. But it's more than that, because Paul says we're to be devoted to one another. Devoted. And devoted implies intimate engagement with one another, with one another's lives. Love demands something of us, in other words. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. So we're not just to share the gospel with one another and with others. We're to share our very hearts. And it's a family love. It's a love which is based on the fact that we have entered the family of Jesus Christ. The Greek words that Paul uses here about being devoted to one another in love, they're all words which recall family relationships, sibling relationships. And Jesus calls his disciples, he calls us, adelphoi, which means brothers and sisters. We've got a sibling relationship with Jesus, who's also our Lord and Saviour. We're not just saved into a personal relationship with God. We're saved into a family-creating relationship. The family of God. Jesus isn't just our personal saviour and lord, although of course he's that. He's a brother to us in this family. And it's in Jesus' family that we have a training ground for growing in love. Church is basically a school a gym in which we're to grow in love. And we can heal here too. In this family, we can literally be loved back into life. Some of us will have arrived in the church with wounds from past relationships, wounds from either what we were given, which we shouldn't have been given, or wounds from what we've not been given, from something that's been missing In our lives. And when I came to faith as an adult, I arrived in church uh, as as a highly dysfunctional person in terms of my relationships. Through some disappointments in relationships, I'd pulled up my drawbridge. I remember actually saying that to myself Oh, Mark, you've pulled up your drawbridge. And my relationship with people had become very transactional. It didn't look like that. It didn't look like that because I worked in theatre and I was a professional, and like all of us, I was skilled at being genial and polite and so on. But fundamentally, I'm ashamed that I often treated the people around me as bit players in my personal drama. But when I met Jesus, I was saved into his family. I came into a place where I could begin to heal of those wounds, And I could begin to learn to trust people again on a different basis. On the basis of identity in Christ. Being with Christian brothers and sisters. It's an amazing thing. This is the healing and the redemption that God wants for each one of us. And my encouragement to you this morning is not only to heal in these places. It's to increase your bandwidth for love. Because Jesus is our model for loving And he's got a mighty, mighty bandwidth. Paul writes, honor one another above yourselves. So it's not simply about love. It's also about seeing each other as made in the image of God. The Greek word for to honor here, it actually means to attribute value to, to prize the other person. In other words, I meet you and you meet me And we are called to see the image of God in one another. We're called to see the innate dignity in one another. We're called to see the vast potential in one another, to see the gold and to call it out from one another. And that demands a lot from us. It demands not just our heart, it demands a lot of attention to the other person. Back in 1914... There was a German-Jewish theologian called Martin Buber, and um, he was sitting in his study one day. He'd had a kind of quite a giddy morning with God, uh, connecting with God, experiencing God. He was feeling that all was well with the world. And a young man came to see him by appointment. And uh, Buber, who was brimming over with spiritual enthusiasm, went through the meeting, listened to the young man, gave some advice, and thought nothing of it. But he writes afterwards that he completely missed that young man. He said, Not long after, I learned that he had come to me not casually, but born by destiny, not for a chat, but for a decision. And that decision was whether that young man should take his life or not. And tragically, he did take his life, perhaps as a result of that conversation not giving him quite what he needed. And that was one factor that contributed to Buber realising that he must never again miss a person who was sitting or standing in front of him that he was engaging with. And a few years later, he wrote a book which was about what he calls I-Thou Relationships. Booba says that I must relate to the person in front of me as thou, not as an it. The person must never become an object to me. And when we honour one another, we treat the other person as a thou, not an it. Honour has got transforming power. It literally changes the way not only we're seeing, but also how the person allows themselves to be seen. It surprises us with our own sense of dignity and potential. And then third, it's a practical love. Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's a resourceful love. It's a concrete love. It's as concrete as Jesus coming in flesh and giving himself to each one of us. And practical giving was a mark of the early church. So two Thessalonians suggest that the community there had a daily communal meal with food given for everyone. And we will remember that Paul took a collection from a number of churches to give to the poor in the church in Jerusalem. So it's about giving. And again, play acting can get in the way here. When I give, I may want and expect a thank you back. And if I don't get it, I may begin to feel a little resentful. The unwelcome truth is that I've been giving in order to make myself feel better. And I now expect my reward. And this isn't true giving. True giving is its own reward. Otherwise, the gift which is apparently given in love is actually loveless. True Giving is the man who who came to me just here uh, at the end of a service in December. I'd never seen him before. Our engagement together was probably no more than 20 seconds. He came up to me. He stuffed a wad of banknotes into my hand. He said, you've got a ministry here called ACT. It helped me about 20 years ago. I want to thank this church. And then he turned abruptly, went out, got his dog from the front, and disappeared. There wasn't even time to have a further conversation. It was before I got, it was only when I got home that I counted, I was able to count all of the money. I thought there's probably about 500 quid there. 3,000 pounds put into my hand. Never seen him before. I may never see him again. He didn't need a thank you from me. He didn't need a reward. He didn't need a pat on the back. That's true giving and this practical love also extends to hospitality our love isn't to be selective or partisan it's not based on my personal preferences about who i'm drawn to it's to extend to the stranger the word that paul uses here philoxenia it actually means love of the foreigner love of the stranger that's his word for hospitality My personal borders are not to be closed. They're to be very, very open and porous to other people and to the stranger, to the foreigner, to the person who is not like me. We open not just our hearts, we open our very homes to other people. And as we do that, we find often we're entertaining angels, unawares, and that we meet Jesus in the stranger. And that's really just a reflection of God's own hospitality for us. Because God gave his son for each one of us in order that his son could bring us home into the home and the heart of God. So we may be starting to appreciate that love can be hard work. It's not a Disney movie. But Paul tells us that we're helped in our loving By love itself, we're helped by God. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. And that's a a really poor translation of what would better literally be given as, be boiling hot in the Holy Spirit. Be boiling hot in the Holy Spirit. Be ablaze on fire with the Holy Spirit. We need that because the love that Paul's talking about here, this agape love, it's a supernatural love. It's not something that we're capable of easily in our own strength. The truth is we all have limits to the love that we can extend to others. I love this from the narrator of one of Douglas Coupland's novels. He says this, "'My secret is that I need God.'" I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem to be capable of giving, to help me be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness, to help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. I wonder if you ever feel like that on a bad day. Giving love can sometimes feel like it's just beyond us. And Paul could love in the way that he did because he'd had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, but because also he was constantly being renewed in that relationship through prayer and through being filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. Otherwise, we'll never have the topped-up tank of love that we need to live in this way. Bono, who's a believer, puts it like this, speaking of relationships with his three fellow band members in U2. We've never been critical of each other in public, but it's no criticism to say we've sometimes run out of love. It happens. The well of friendship can run dry in a family, a marriage, a community, a band. A good strategy for me is to continually go back to the source to drop my bucket in the well in the hope of a refill. And perhaps that's what you need this morning. You need to drop that bucket again and get refilled because you're running on empty in terms of giving love. Or you need to bring fresh fuel to a relationship you're in, which is really quite challenging. Even Jesus in his humanity withdraws from the crowd and goes to meet his father in private so that he can be renewed. Jesus needed his tank refilled. And this is why as charismatics we seek to be, in Paul's words, continually filled with the Spirit. To have a brother or sister lay a hand on our shoulder and pray that we be filled again. Touched again by the Holy Spirit. It can happen anywhere, of course. It can happen in our midweek groups. But it happens particularly powerfully, we find, in gatherings like this, at a meeting. Because Pentecost happened at a meeting when a lot of people were gathered together. God loves to do this at a meeting. and We'll have time for this after we've enjoyed communion. But breaking this down further, how exactly does being filled with the Holy Spirit make me more loving? It sounds great, but how does it work? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He points us to Abba, his father, his daddy. He takes us into the presence of the Father. When we're filled with the Spirit, We're taken into the very heart of God who exists in family, in self-giving, loving relationships. And that's energizing and it's releasing. Let me try and illustrate that with a story uh, that comes from an American theologian, Baxter Kruger. He was in his office one Saturday afternoon just working away when his young son and a school friend appeared at the door. And they were in kind of kids' army fatigues. They were obviously playing some kind of war game. And Kruger writes this, My son peers around the corner of the door, and he looks at me. And the next thing I know, he comes flying through the air, and he jumps on me. And we start wrestling and horsing around, and we end up on the floor. And then his buddy flies into us, and all three of us are just like a wad of laughter. And just at that moment, Kruger felt God saying to him, you need to pay attention to what's happening here. And Kruger says this. He says he'd never met his son's school friend before. I rewound the story and thought what would have happened if this little boy, his son's friend, would have walked into my den alone. Would he fly through the air and engage me in play? Would he end up in a pile of laughter on the floor? Of course not. That's the last thing that would have happened. Within himself, that little boy had no freedom to have a relationship with me. We were strangers. The miracle that happened was that my son's knowledge of my acceptance and my delight and my son's freedom for fellowship with me rubbed off onto that other little boy. He got to experience it. That other little boy got to taste and feel and know my son's relationship with me. He participated in my son's life and communion with me. And that's what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We enter into the love shared within the Godhead. And that is powerful. It's like rocket fuel. And it enables us to do what Paul asks of us here, to genuinely love God. One another. Now perhaps you say this all sounds very well, but maybe you're trying to love somebody at the moment and it's not exactly working out. Perhaps they're rejecting your love. Perhaps they're misinterpreting your, your love. Perhaps they don't want your love. Well, Paul writes this, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In other words, he's soberly realistic. He knows that there is affliction in love and being loving. As Shakespeare said, the course of true love never did run smooth. Loving others in the body isn't about being nice or having romantic feelings or about play-acting, and it's also not necessarily about having our love returned either. We'll all have experienced disappointment in relationships where we were seeking to love. In the words of Neil Young, only love can break your heart. And many of us here will have had heartbreak through relationships where we were seeking to love. And if that's you this morning, it's really great that we're coming to love's table in a moment to receive afresh. Because we need strengthening. And we need to be built up again where we've experienced disappointment or simply not received what we should have. Because Paul says, be resilient. He says, be sustained by the joy, the joyful hope that you have in heaven, in what's coming next. The fact is, in the heaven and earth that is coming, the new heavens and earth, everything is going to be shot through with love. It's all going to be about love. There's not going to be anything else but love. It's going to be so alive. It's going to be so amazing. And we are training now for that time. We're training for it. The love we give one another now, it enables glimpses of the glory that is yet to come. So however great our adversity, joy must sustain us, as it did with Paul and Jesus. It was living from this joy that Jesus could reach out to speak to those who criticized him, that he could embrace those who were considered unclean, that he could resist judging others but actually see the gold in them, that he could let his heart be broken rather than go around violating anybody else's heart, that he could forgive those who hated him, that he could remain open-hearted even while he was being attacked and that he could love other people, all of us, to the point of death itself. A community tried to throw love off a cliff. Disciples deserted love because they didn't like what he was teaching. The world nailed love to a cross, but love persisted. You're seeking to love your boss at the moment and you're being blanked. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. An elderly parent is making impossible demands on you at the moment. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You're fighting some injustice at the moment which stands in the very way of love. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. For 2,000 years, true love has been cherished, honoured, celebrated, despised, thought weak, crucified, and then risen from the grave again. All of that has happened in the story of love, and we're the people who are to be ablaze with love, who are to be boiling hot with love in the spirit so we can give that love to one another and so that we can take it out there and can change the world. So let's rejoice that we are this community and family of love. In Jesus' name, amen.